This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. It's a Salt City Hoop show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Ben Anderson on his way to New York City to cover the NBA draft as we speak. So today, J.P. Chunga, producer of Gunther and Ben here every weekday from 2 to 6 on ESPN 700, joins me. He's a college basketball expert. He's a very intelligent person. Uh, he scores goals night and day. He is J.P. Chunga. From 2 to 6 on ESPN 700. Make sure to check it out, Gunther and Ben. <laughs> and also 6 to 7 if you're listening to Today's Best with J.P. Chunga. That that's also good. Yes. Uh, I like I like both of those shows, uh, but I like this show the most because I'm on it. And fair I'm, enough. Uh, I'm into I'm into me. I'm very narcissistic. It's, uh, You're it's on a good Gunther and Ben a fair amount. That's true. All right, that's my second favorite show. Then uh, <laughs> we have so much to talk about. We are 48 hours less than 48 hours until the NBA draft. Uh, and even within the jazz world, there's so much to talk about. Within the NBA draft world, there's so much to talk about. Uh, we've got Woj bombs going off here, there, and elsewhere. We've got bombs from other great beat writers from around the league happening. Uh, we have so much to discuss today. I'm, I'm glad we have you here because you know college basketball quite well. Um, so we can talk about some of these prospects as we look at the number 23 pick if the Jazz choose to keep it. But, of course, the number one story is that they may not keep it, that they may trade that pick for Mike Conley or another big name uh, coming up in, in the next 48 hours. How realistic is that? Because certainly Tony Jones, when he joined Bill the other day, he said if the Jazz have their druthers together, they're trading the pick. It's it's not even close that they're trading the pick. If they get what they want out of out of this draft and what they're going into it. How realistic is it that they trade the pick? I would put it like that. I would say that uh, if they have their druthers means if they get Mike Conley. Yes. Uh, and maybe one or two other big names that, quite frankly, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be using this pick to uh, get a role player necessarily. I, I think they would have come to like the people at the at the at the range that they're in enough that they don't want to lose that guy basically a potential long-term role player for a short-term role player like you'd get in a trade. But if they can convince the Memphis Grizzlies to to part with Mike Conley and give and you know trade him for the number 23 pick, uh some more limited draft assets and whatever expiring contracts the Jazz can figure out how to make work, um then great. Then that that works. Then the Jazz are happy to do that. Um, they'd be thrilled to do that. That's what they want to do. So I think there's a lot of uh, pressure. Uh, I, I want to say pressure to get it done. I think there's a lot of energy to get this deal done. I also think that uh, if they don't get the deal done, it may be a good sign in another way that they say, okay, we actually think we have a good enough chance at Tobias Harris or D'Angelo Russell that we are, weren't willing to give up that second first-round pick for Mike Conley. Right, and that's that's the options that you laid out in your preview piece for the draft, as you laid out a couple of those in the Salt Lake Tribune, about the options that you have going forward for the Jazz in trading for Mike Conley, because the real sticking point for me is is how much better is the trade package that they have now better than what they had at the trade deadline when they were going so aggressively at him. 
You don't have Ricky Rubio to offer now yeah. in this pick. It would mean in the most easiest scenario in getting Mike Conley to give up Derek Favors and Adam to the trade so that the salaries match up uh, so that it isn't a lot of crazy math that you're dealing with. That would be the easiest option to add Derek Favors to the package. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, I, I think the Jazz are willing to do the crazy math. The crazy math yeah. is not really the problem. And I think I showed some of the ways. If you haven't checked it out, I did an, uh, a Q&A yesterday on the Salt Lake Tribune's uh, website about all the different things that the Jazz could include in this trade to make the salaries work. Um, and so, you know, you can trade. Maybe it makes more sense to trade away Dante Exum, Kyle Korver, and Jay Crowder rather than include Derek Favors or Joe Ingles in this deal, right? Um, and I think they would be willing to do that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that I, I don't know that the offer is going to be substantially different than it was during the, the trade deadline. Obviously, it won't include Ricky Rubio, but Rubio was never a guy that mattered to the Grizzlies. It was just a guy who... Uh, would no longer play point guard for the Utah Jazz if they got Mike Conley, and it was a guy that made the salaries work in a, in a little bit of an easier way. So, uh, and, and quite frankly, I don't think Derek Favors is that important to the Memphis Grizzlies, other than as a a trade asset and maybe someone that they could um, move looking forward to, to to get a a first round pick or or something like that in in future trade negotiations, unless they try him out for a year and love him and then want to spend a large part of their cap on him. But I, I, I don't think that's how they're approaching this. To, me, to them, they're looking for a, a young piece. And that's where, like, Dante Exum makes some sense. That's where Grayson Allen makes some sense. Uh, and maybe, you know, the, the tradable guys that the Jazz could include, like Favors, Jay Crowder, and Kyle Korver, um, are, are just kind of added value to the Memphis Grizzlies in that way. Really pairing, because I think just looking at it from the Grizzlies' perspective, Pairing Derek Favors alongside Jaron Jackson Jr., that offers uh, Favors to be one of the better fives in the league at, is, a, at a position that he isn't playing with the Jazz. Sure. Is he better than Jonas Valanciunas, who's the the guy they traded for and they like? And, and would he be cheaper? He would. He would be cheaper for one year. Yes. Uh, presuming, uh, and actually, uh, that might be assuming too much that Jonas Valanciunas will make more than $17.5 million next year. Uh because you know he, he that uh, I I don't know who gives him that in the the free agent market besides the Memphis Grizzlies yeah. right so like it may not be cheaper it may be it's I guess it's a shorter term contract but if you're the Memphis Grizzlies probably longer term is better right than than an expiring Derek Favors it could yeah but uh, it just adds to the the intrigue of of adding a Favors to that deal because it make it would make sense for them in that short term of trying to find a compliment with your young guy of Jaron Jackson Jr. because that's who they're going to have going forward. It's going to be Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant, and right. they're going to try to build that way going forward. And as it stands right now, Mike Conley is superfluous in that scenario as you're trying to get as much time on the court for John Morant going forward because he for could sure. be an electric he, player. He's real, he's real, real good. Um, I promise to take people's questions on Twitter. As always, this is a big part of the show is getting your feedback, getting your questions, and answering them here live on the radio. So tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at JP underscore Chunga. You can also call us at 877-353-0700. 
kind of move your way to the top of the queue if you'd like by calling us. With, it's kind of immediate. It's like calls versus text messages, right? You have yes. to answer that call right away. You can let that text message linger for a few minutes. Sometimes I deny calls. <laughs> if, it, if the wrong person's calling, like a bill collector, uh, somebody like that, I'm not going to answer on the first uh, first ring. Well, our, our producer will pick up on the first ring, maybe the second. Let's hope so. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll we'll help you guys out. Let's start with at, at the very beginning. Uh, I, I thought Big D's question asking, should we try to make a go at Al Horford, or is there no way he's going to come here? He could replace Favors as good as anybody. Um, I would say, first of all, if you haven't heard the, the news from, first originally Steve Bolpit in, in Boston, was that Al Horford is no longer thinking that it's likely that he'll rejoin the Boston Celtics. Uh, they're too far away on an agreement, and instead he'll look elsewhere for a, a three- or four-year deal with another team. Uh, the Jazz could be another team. They would have to waive Derek Favors in order to have the cap space to give him that contract. I, I don't think the Jazz are going to make that kind of lateral move to, to replace a younger Derek Favors with an older Al Horford, uh, especially because I think Al Horford is as much of a center as Derek Favors is. Um, certainly can shoot more than Derek Favors, but it, you still kind of have some defensive limitations with, with quickness and those kind of things. And giving him a, a three- or four-year deal, getting into his significant decline phase, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. This is fine, dog, for the Celtics right now because uh, things might not be happening great over there. They're not. When you have not only Gordon Hayward's contract on the books, you are seeing Kyrie Irving likely leaving for the Brooklyn Nets, and then you have Al Horford, who wasn't it this morning that Woj was saying that they were willing to negotiate to have uh, a better um, contract with the team so that they could offer flexibility, or was that – Last morning, things have turned, though, in, yeah. in Celtics land with what they're looking at. I think it is a – what the Celtics want and what the what Al Horford, Horford wants and what his agent wants and how those these teams are posturing through the media and how the agents are posturing through the media has yeah. changed, right? Um, I think when it is confirmed by this number of different reporters, uh, like the Al Horford news was today, I think at the, that that's the point where you take one – report into, okay, this is probably fact, and now it does look like Al Horford's moving on. And this is fine for the Celtics. <laughs> and the Celtics are in a bad That's place. All the, they're in a bad place the same way that Houston is in a bad place right now Ooh. with what they're trying to figure out with their organization. That anyway. might be a, be a good would-you-rather. Who would you rather be is the, the Houston Rockets or the Boston Celtics right now? Uh, I think the answer is still the Celtics. Yeah, because of an easier conference. Easier conference and, and better uh, young players. You got young players. Yeah, you have better young players. You don't have you don't have anyone as good like, as James yeah. Harden, right? You don't have, like, you don't have uh, the MVP last year, the second place guy this year. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but you do have you do have talent. You do have to find a way to trade Chris Paul. Um, whether it's whether or not he asked for a trade, and again, that was another big story today. Conflicting reports there. We'll get to it. But uh, it, it just you just have. You just have to trade them at some point, right? Because otherwise, you you just don't have any flexibility to do anything to be a contending team moving forward. Let's move on to uh, Sam Briner's question. Obvious question: Are the Jazz still in talks with Memphis for Mike Conley? And do you think a deal gets done before the draft? I haven't heard anything today, um, so I'm just going to be straight up front. I'm reporter dude, but I don't know what happened with the Jazz and Mike Conley today. Uh, I do think that 
these talks will continue to happen. You know, I, I don't think there's any reason for them to have had them Sunday, Monday and not have them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as, as we approach the draft. But the truth of the matter is it doesn't make any sense for these teams to get it done uh, significantly before Thursday, right? Like there's just that's how deadlines work. Deadlines put time pressure on on trades. And maybe that's when they find that deal. Um, I, what, do I think a deal gets done before the draft? I think maybe. <laughs> I know that's like such a bad answer. Um, yesterday on, on the Weekly Run podcast, I said I thought it was more likely that they trade the pick than keep it. Um, and I think I'm still there. Uh, no news is probably bad news with the likelihood of a trade, right? But uh, it, it's still one of those things that we're dealing with imperfect information, but it just does make so much sense for the Jazz to want to move this pick for, for a guy like Conley. I don't personally just no again no reporting behind it at all i don't think that the trade get done um before the draft just because i don't see how much the package has gotten better for the grizzlies to accept and while they still have a need to move on from conley they've been strident and very stick to the fact that they have requirements for what they want for a trade found that the Jazz can offer, and with Indiana still in the running, and with the reporting being leaked out that the Jazz are the front runners, they're trying to gussy up people Maybe. to say, hey, let's get into this race so that you know Mike Conley's available to go. I would say Indiana feels uh, like they have a good shot at D'Angelo Russell, so I'd be curious to see what they would be willing to trade for Mike Conley rather than kind of make that risk in the same way that the jazz would maybe the jazz have a, a better plan B than the Pacers do. And, and that they have kind of this Tobias Harris option as someone they can use their money on. The Pacers don't really have that. Uh, but you know, sure that that could absolutely happen. I would also say the Boston Celtics, Kyrie Irving leaving may get involved in a Mike Conley trade. Uh, it's certainly something that they could put together the money and the pieces to do if they wanted to. Are they willing to, to do that, are they willing to give up their guys for a Mike Conley? Right, like they haven't traded anyone for anything at any time, right? Like that's that's the the question of the the Boston Celtics management and Danny Ainge is has he given up the lesser pieces to go out and get a a good big money player um, at the right times? And um, yeah, sometimes with Kyrie Irving, certainly didn't get it done with Anthony Davis. That's a, a, a real question. If, if if Boston gets involved in a series and wants to get Mike Conley, they can get him. It's just, I, I don't know if they will. Well, and, and that's why I think there are other options for the Grizzlies that they don't have to stick with the Jazz one that they have on the table right now. Uh, Del Treasure asks, are the Lakers crazy for trying to get Kemba Walker instead of several useful players? So the deal is... Yeah. They ha- will have between 23 and $32 million in cap space depending on when this deal gets done, uh, whether or not Anthony Davis waives his, his trade, wa- uh, trade bonus. And, and so, to me, if you go out and get Kemba, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, that's a really compelling core. And yet, the fact that you need 10 minimum guys after that, literally 10 minimum guys, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you're really hoping that a 34-year-old LeBron James stays healthy not only throughout the regular season, but throughout the postseason. A 30-year-old Kemba Walker stays healthy, not only through the regular season, but throughout the postseason. And then Anthony Davis, who has stayed mostly healthy for the last three years, but certainly had an injury history before that, stays healthy not only from the regular season through the postseason. Otherwise, you're just not good enough. Uh, 
maybe you try it. I'd rather go with the uh, role player point of view, personally. I would too, but here's the deal, Andy, and the way that I've I've seen the AD trade after thinking about it for so long and looking at it. When you have this scenario where you have to fill out a roster, you need a shrewd general manager. You need somebody who's going to go to the bargain bin and be able to find players that are willing to play for you for maybe undervalued uh, contracts. When has Rob Palenka demonstrated, or the Lakers for that matter, demonstrated that they've been able to get that sort of player? Right. I mean, even last year with LeBron James, even with the guys that, you know, I guess they wanted guys on one-year deals, and so that that really does limit what you can do. Um, But still, you had, you know, $8 million, let's say, to go out and sign reasonable pieces, and they used it on uh, Michael Beasley, Rajon Rondo, JaVale McGee. I mean, it's just... Lance Stevenson. It's it's just shocking. But that's not a shrewd general manager. No, that's not that's not a team that knows how to how to create a team out of nothing. No. virtually, right? Other general managers have shown and proven themselves to do that. Uh, you could point to that's a, and that's a real skill. It's a one hundred percent a skill. It's the reason why you have different levels in your basketball operations department so that you can get this done. I don't think you look at the Houston Rockets, and they really did remake their role players in the middle of the season. And and as much as we talk about the Rockets as a a failure for losing in the second round, their role players stood up reasonably well. You know, Daniel House was a contributor. Austin Rivers was very good. Kenneth Freed played a role. You know, like they they actually did pretty well in remaking themselves nearly, you know, I guess you would say middle to bottom during the regular season. And giving themselves a chance to have a decent team in the playoffs. And having to admit the failure of having Carmelo Anthony, as much as it pains me to say. Having to go not only think that you have already signed somebody who's going to be a contributor, but admit a mistake and then find another scenario out of it. That It's a skill to be able to do that, and, and yeah. the Lakers have not demonstrated. For sure. Uh, Joseph Horner follows up his question and says, do you think that I could potentially be the 12th man on the Lakers with what they're trying to do right now? Joseph Horner... Regular dude, presumably not very good at basketball. But if he's if he's got skills, the Lakers will pay your very small bills. They will give you the the minimum NBA salary for somebody with no no <laughs> NBA experience. All right, they probably take the G League guy. Okay, yeah, I think they would bring out that forty year old uh, Andre Ingram, right? Bring back Melo. That would also honestly Melo's coming back. Like this is <laughs> this is very transparent. This is definitely where this is going, is Carmelo Anthony on a minimum salary deal. Was he a Palenka client? Because if he was, then I could see the, <laughs> no, but the banana silly boat. string. I mean, I know Melo wasn't actually on the banana boat, but he was. he's there in, 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 in spirit. theory, in spirit, yes. Uh Let's see. We've got lots of we've got lots of trade questions. Uh, Alex, Mike Conley trade closer now or the trade deadline? I thought it was more likely to happen at the trade deadline. Um, again, the number I've said before is I thought it was we were like 75 percent going to happen at, at at the at the trade deadline. And and quite frankly, Dennis Lindsay thought that it was something that they were going to be able to get done too. You know, they were they weren't so far apart that the teams. Uh, they they thought they would be able to make a deal, and um, ultimately it was some some lapses in communication, and you know there's there's some stuff here that that didn't 
go like the Jazz wanted it to, right? I mean, obviously, they talked about how he wasn't a fan of how Memphis's front office handled this at, at the end-of-season media availability. So we, we know that. I would say it. I, I felt more sure about it then than I do now, um, and I, I, I think that's because the Jazz do have other options for getting a, a big-name player now, whereas at the trade deadline, uh, Conley was really kind of their big move that they were going after. And frankly, Ricky Rubio was a great piece in that trade yeah, when the trade point. trade deadline happened. You only had him till the rest of the year, and then he would be a free agent, and that's a beautiful thing when you're trying to make a deal at the deadline. That's why, in my opinion, I don't think this deal gets done before the draft. Uh, Beck asked, what went wrong with Grayson Allen that leads the Jazz to signing or trading for a point guard rather than molding Grayson into that role? All right, let's be honest about what Grayson Allen is. Grayson Allen was the number 20 pick in the draft. Number 20 picks in the draft do not become starters very often. They become starters actually about 15% of the time, okay? Maybe 20% of the time. Depends on how you skew your analysis, whatever. If you are making a pick at the bottom 10 picks of the first round, you should not expect that guy to be a starter. And so if you pick that Grayson Allen came out and played and had a bad first five months and a pretty decent last month of the season, uh... That does not indicate that he should be a point guard, a starting shooting guard, point guard, backup point guard. He needs to prove that he's an NBA player at this point. Okay, um, so you're basically what went wrong is that your expectations were up here; they were high. I don't know why your expectations for Grayson Allen were high. I mean, I get it. People talk about him. You look at the athleticism. You look at the shooting. You're like, maybe Grayson Allen can be our starting point guard. You were you were always too optimistic. The other thing is, honestly, Grayson Allen's not a point guard. Like, uh, Grayson Allen it does not have the playmaking skill or uh, vision necessary to be a point guard in the NBA. He was always going to be a two. He's a point guard at the college level. He's fine there, but, yeah, when, when it comes to the NBA, and especially with the dearth of point guards that we have in this league uh, now, being able to keep up defensively, being able to, to keep up that way, I don't think Grayson Allen is on any plane going to be approaching that in any way yeah now i was uh, you know at least encouraged by that final month of the year where he started to play better at the with the slc stars and he had that 40 point game in a game that did not matter whatsoever but it was game 82 and he scored some points admittedly he shot a 35 shots in yeah, that game maybe 37 s- what was it I, a lot of shots i don't uh, have it off the top of my head but usage rate in both of these scenarios is 100 percent something that you have to look at because uh, I, I saw him play with the ball in his hand at Duke, right. and he was phenomenal. Creating off the phenomenal? ball. Phenomenal? Yeah, at Duke, okay. with, with all the stars that they have, having to uh, take the ball away from more 30 shots. I apologize. Guys. I, was, I was hating too much. <laughs> well, don't hate on Grayson Allen. Win 11 for 30. When he has the ball in his hand on a good team like a Duke, it was, gr- it was fine. It was great. I, I think it was great. You, we can talk about the semantics later, but... When it comes I, to the NBA level, it's not going to happen. I think if it was great, he would have been higher than the number 20 pick. Yeah, but in the draft now, we're also doing off of age. Right, a okay, lot because he was a senior. Is what He's was. a senior, yeah. You're not going to project him to get much better than what he was at that point. True. Uh, so anyway, Grayson Allen will not be the savior, um, and that's, that's what happens. When you pick number 20, you should not be expecting yeah. the guy to be your starting whatever for the next five years. That's just not what happens when you pick. Sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you get a Rudy Gobert, but you got, you know, you gave yourself a shot and it panned out. 
Grayson Allen has not yet panned out. He could. He's also fairly old for a, a draft prospect uh, or a entering sophomore, I should say. I w- okay, I've got so many more questions, but we do have to take a break because uh, commercials pay for this radio show. It's it's the curse of capitalism. <laughs> there are a lot <laughs> of we. <laughs> uh, but we will come back with way more questions uh, and way more from uh, your the Twitter accounts. Please tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at JP underscore Chunga. This is the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson with J.P. Chunga. Taking your questions about the Utah Jazz and the NBA, we've got less than 48 hours until the NBA draft. You can tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at JP underscore Chunga. Um, there's so much. We've got another Al Horford question. We already answered that. We, we should just skip the questions we've already answered, right? Agreed. Uh, here's a good one from Aaron Fuhrman asking, assuming Mike Conley is plan A, what do you think is plan B? Free agency. Yeah. Right? It's D'Lo. It's Tobias Harris. It's those options that they have if they don't get what they want before draft day, then I think that is a a good sign for free agency because of the connections that have already been made between D'Angelo Russell, Donovan Mitchell, how uh, D'Angelo Russell would play alongside Donovan Mitchell. It would be a perfect fit and in how uh, those two would would be able to play. You think they played it? First of all, I I don't actually agree that they play together well. I think you need like some development from one or both of those guys to kind of learn how to play off the ball a little bit. Um, But... There's enough talent there that you're excited to add D'Lo, given that he's only 23 years old. Like, it, it just makes sense from, from that point of view as much as anything. Well, and it, I mean, perfect fit with the timelines. Right. Yeah, right? absolutely. These guys are on the same track as far as young pieces being able to grow alongside each other. It matches up with Rudy Gobert's timeline as well. The vacuum that's created by the Warriors clearly not having a great team at least next year. I don't know about the entire dynasty's sake. Seeing an option in the Western Conference to get better, it matches the timeline that the Jazz are on. Yeah. Uh, I would say plan B, you're right, free agency, kind of breaking it down a little bit. I agree. I think D'Angelo Russell, if you can get him, I think he's probably that next plan B. If if things go with the Nets the way you want them to, uh, because he has the youngest of the free agent options, because he has a smaller max than the other guys like Tobias Harris or Kemba Walker, and be, you know it's better to bet on younger guys if you can. Certainly one that made the all-star team in D'Angelo Russell is obviously probably a, a good bet. I would say Tobias Harris is then that plan C, if you will. If you can't get D'Angelo Russell, it doesn't look like that's going to pan out. And maybe that's because Tobias Harris goes to the Brooklyn Nets. I'd be surprised if that happens because if you know if they're already getting Kyrie Irving, which I'm 95% on, uh, then I, I don't know that you lose D'Angelo to sign Tobias Harris. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Who, who knows? Um, but I, I do think that that's kind of a... a very likely possibility is still that the Jazz end up with Tobias Harris if they if they go after him if they kind of eschew the Mike Conley trade if they go after uh, D'Angelo if they if D'Angelo Russell doesn't work out. Uh, 
let's do Kirkman's tweet at 11. What up, though? Great, great handle. Let's play hypothetical and say the Jazz trade for Mike Conley. Walk me through the offseason Conley becomes a free agent. What contracts are likely to be on the books? Will we have much cap space to play with? Does trading for Conley hinder our future ability to get a third star? This is a good question, and these are the kind of questions that front offices think about two years down the road. When you require a player, you got to figure out, okay, how is it that you get that third guy? Um, how, how is it that you'll be a good team, not only now, but in the future? So the deal is... Conley has two years left on his really big money deal, right? So this year and next year. Uh, and by that, I mean 2019-20, Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, that's also the offseason in which Rudy Gobert is done with his contract and Donovan Mitchell has to be signed to a max deal. So you're looking at a 30 to 35% deal for uh, of the cap for Rudy Gobert. And a twenty-five to thirty percent of the of the cap deal for Donovan Mitchell. Now that obviously does not give you a ton of space to go out and sign guys. Uh, you you also look at um, Joe Ingles expires that year as well. Uh, you, you've got Grayson Allen's contract still on the books, and then whoever you draft, if you, I guess if you trade for Conley, you don't have a first round pick this year, but whoever you draft next year, and so on and so forth. But not very many players are are still on the books two years down the road for the Jazz, and so that, that makes it, this question kind of hard to answer. I would say that you could still have free agent cap space to go after a third star. Uh, more likely it is, is that you will have contracts that you sign either this summer or next summer um, that will still be out there that you will probably have to trade for that third star because you do have two max contracts already in Rudy Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell that would presumably take up that space. Well, and you also talked about how uh, how willing will the Jazz be to give Rudy Gobert that max contract, and and will they offer him the absolute max that he can get on the market? Yeah, and and that's an interesting question. Obviously, he's eligible for the super max now. Yeah. They can give him that super max extension next off season. So if they do do that, then he's at thirty five percent of the cap. That is so much money for Rudy Gobert. That is so much money for anybody. I'm not trying to hate on Rudy Gobert. I think Rudy Gobert is a top fifteen player in the league. I, you know, whether or not he's worth 35% of the cap, I think you have to kind of lean towards no, to be honest. And he's, again, one of the most impactful guys that, that exists in today's NBA. I, I think you probably will be able to find a way to extend him at something closer to 30% of the cap um, because you are allowed to negotiate in that window uh, and still give him five years if you want. Or you can just say, hey, go out and if you want to stay here in Utah, great. If, if it's going to be too much money, then you can go out and leave. I think that's risky, obviously, with, with free agents. We've seen that not pay off in the past. Uh, but I think Rudy Gobert is, is critical enough to the Jazz's identity that they'll do what it takes to keep him. Um, we'll see how those negotiations go. But I, I also suspect Rudy Gobert is not going to be adamant about getting that 35 percent we'll see i you know when i when i've talked to these people everyone's like listen this is this is a year away we don't have to start thinking about this yet um i I certainly i guess they have to start thinking about it these whether or not they ask for 30 or 35 percent is dependent on so many factors maybe the biggest one is just how good the jazz are next year right Mm -hmm. yeah so definitely uh certain definitely something that something to think about uh, something that the Jazz are thinking about. Aaron Fuhrman at Stockton to Sloan asks, if you were to summarize the overarching objective in free agency or via trade, the Jazz want to fill in the blank. JP, can you fill in the blank for me? 
for me, it's find a capable point guard alongside Donovan Mitchell or another playmaker, another person that can give something offensive punch to this entire team. Too specific. Get better. The Jazz want to get better. And I know, okay, that's probably too general. Okay, Okay, Andy, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kawhi Leonard is answering questions over here. Uh, What's it it like to win a finals for Toronto? I don't don't think they're looking for a, 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 sure, they're looking for a point guard, yeah, but they they don't need the best point, you know, they don't need Mike Conley because he's a talented point guard and he's the only one out there. It's that they need talent. They need someone who can score next to Donovan Mitchell. They need someone who can knock down open shots when the offense generates them like from Quinn Snyder. They need someone who, if you lose Derek Favors this year or next, can play the four and the five. They need someone, you know, like they need a, a bunch of different things. They need, like, And all of these things were the reasons why the Jazz lost in the first round to the Houston Rockets, right? Like that's, that's so many different reasons. So it, you can go out and get Mike Conley who can accomplish a lot of those things for you because he is a a good shooter and a good scorer, a good playmaker, a good uh, creator off the dribble, those kind of things. But you can go out and get Tobias Harris, who's a four, who's actually got many of those same strengths on the offensive end. Um, defensively, not the same player, but obviously the, now we're comparing apples to oranges a little bit. But the truth of the matter is you just need someone who can score. You need you need someone who can shoot and score uh, effectively to make this offense have, have any chance of, of you know beating playoff defenses. Shoot and score. I know. It, it's Basketball is not a complicated game. As much as like we have a two-hour radio show talking yeah. about it, my whole life, people pay me tens of thousands of dollars even. Yes. To dissect this game where you know, you're trying to score. You're mm-hmm. trying to stop the other team from scoring too. That's good. It, it's just not that, you know. And the Jazz clearly are at a talent deficit to where they would need to be in order to be an actual contending team. We have a caller. Oh, we do. Nick is on the line uh, joining the South City Hoop Show. Nick, what do you got for us? Fellas, how are we doing tonight? Great. How are you? Good. Uh, just a question. So, can you, Andy, could you give me a quick rehab, recap on why uh, Conley's option A and D'Lo's not option A? And then, two, um, I think we need to go into – I know what you, you said just a second ago, go Bears a year away discussion, but let me just ask you this. So, how many times during the Rockets um, series did – a guard gets switched on to Rudy, and how many times did we blatantly ignore throwing Rudy the ball in the post when he's literally two feet from the basket? Now, if if you can't do that for a player of his of his supposed caliber, I'm not dogging Rudy, but I'm just saying, do you give a, a guy like that 30-plus percent of your cap if you can't even ask him to get a bucket from two feet from the hoop? Anyways, uh, Yeah, no, those are fair time. questions. I would say, okay, so number one, the reason why Mike Conley is not uh, is option A rather than than D'Angelo Russell is because other things have to go well for you to be able to sign D'Angelo Russell, right? Like two separate big max free agents have to sign with the Brooklyn Nets in order for the Nets to relinquish D'Angelo Russell for you to have the opportunity to sign him. So if if that doesn't happen, if Kyrie goes there but they can't get a second guy and they just go with those two guys as their backcourt, all of a sudden if you don't make the Mike Conley trade and you're not able to get Tobias Harris, uh, you're kind of holding the bag. You've got a bag of cash that you can't give to anyone that's worth it. And that's why kind of... You, if you want to be the proactive general manager, if you want to go out and get talent and make sure that your team is better for next year, that's why Mike Conley is the option. Even though, for sure, if, if from like a timeline point of view, Giancarlo Russell is a lot better of a fit. But it, you're just playing—you're playing with fire a little bit there. 
in free agency has other suitors. You're not going to be the only person at at the table going at D'Angelo Russell, giving him a pitch. And For you sure, might, you might not be the biggest bag that he could get at yep. in free agency. I mean, you're you're giving him the same amount of money, but you look at in, the Indiana Pacers, for example, who uh, clearly, obviously, interested in D'Angelo Russell. He's from Louisville, Kentucky. And Indianapolis is only a couple miles drive, a couple hours drive. Sorry, not a couple miles, a couple hours drive from his home. He may want to play closer to home. That's certainly a reason guys go to where they go. So now you're you're talking to a, a guy that uh, about signing guy that his team has matching rights on whatever they get. So they need to decide to let an all star go for nothing, and you have to convince a guy not to go back to his home. Yeah. It, it's 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 a it's I won't say a long shot, but like that's that's a lot to ask. And so if you want to make sure that you have a good point guard for next year, maybe Mike Conley is the option. The other thing that you you also have to factor in when he brings up the Rudy Gobert uh, scenario yeah. is um, yes, the discussion needs to begin with how much are you willing to commit to Rudy Gobert and how how much is Rudy Gobert willing to cut the Jazz a little bit of slack with trying to build a winner around him because that appears to be the biggest motivator for him here is winning and and giving flexibility in a salary salary cap-driven sport. The only way that would uh, help would be if, if he takes a little bit less and allows the Jazz to go out and get other players. Yeah, and, and absolutely, like, Rudy's offensive deficiencies, so much as they exist, is the reason that you would yeah. want to talk about that contract. Not You know, if if he were Shaq on offense, yeah, 35, great, let's get it, it done. <laughs> Shaq's the best player, you know, he would be the best center in the league by far, all these kind of yeah. things. Like, it'd be great. Uh Rudy Gobert is so good on so many different o- other offensive things, and, and what you see is is that no one in the league is throwing the basket into the big guy and having him dunk all over him on, on post guys. Basically, the rules in which small guys are allowed to defend big guys on switches has changed how you ch- how you attack switches. So now you you look at how defense is uh, like there's no center in the league that guys throw that ball to and it's a dunk every time. It turns out it's actually not that efficient of a play because not only do you have the the smaller guy guarding him, which is kind of whatever, but you have defenses that are so ready to react and help and steal that ball essentially. So um, that pass has to be perfect. And honestly, the Jazz got better at it last year, and I think the Jazz can continue to get better at it and make that pass perfect. But it's there just aren't centers in the league that are doing that now because the the game has changed so much. So it's hard to be like, hey, you know, Rudy, if you could do that, you'd be better. Yeah, sure. But it, it, to me, that's not – like I would rather have Rudy become a better screener and a better rebounder and a better finisher and a better you know, like five-foot flip shot kind of finisher over his ability to like just ground people into the dust with bigger muscles uh, any day. Well, and I think that the defense has gotten better. Yeah, uh, just for sure. Not only in the stealing category, but just a smaller guy being able to adjust to a bigger guy. It's yeah. gotten way better than as uh, in the past. You watch how it is interesting, right? When we met with the NBA's referees at the All Star break, that was something that they the coaches brought up to them is like, "Hey, we can no longer throw these balls into the post on switches because." Small guys can defend them however they want, and so you can grab and you can foul yeah. and you can push and you can do all those things. And those whistles aren't getting called right now. And the refs are like, "Well, you know, those are fouls that we should call, but for whatever reason, the coaches and and for whatever reason, they're not. And so, unless that changes, that doesn't really have value in today's NBA. That's a good insight that 
honestly, I would not think that you would be speaking to officials in a civil manner. No, uh, we uh, that was honestly one of the best parts of All Star for me is I got to meet with the NBA's head of refereeing, uh, and as well as guys like Monty McCutcheon, guys who have done it before, NBA refs, and kind of talk to them about what the that, what they had heard from the competition committee and what they were trying to do with their officiating and how it was changing the game. That was one of their big insights. Were they receptive to you? Uh, I wasn't talking. I, I, they were doing the talking. Okay. I was among one of, I think it was eight or nine uh, journalists who were there kind of listening to their presentation and uh, we had some questions back and forth. My questions were on the last two-minute report rather than this issue, but hey, that's how that goes. Um, and yeah, but like, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from that conversation, and I think it, it does go a long ways to explain why you aren't throwing the ball to Rudy in the post because he, he, you know, it's just not that efficient as, of play. My dad says the same things. Don't get me wrong. Like, there are lots of people who think what, what our caller thinks. Yeah. It's just, it, it, Right now, it doesn't work with the way the game's officiated and the way uh, you know defenses are allowed to play. So anyway, we got to take another break. We've got more questions for you guys on the other side from you guys for you guys both here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, Salt City Hoops, ESPN 700. Andy Larson, J.P. Chunga with you. Taking your questions about the Jazz offseason, the draft, the free agency period, the trade possibilities, all that fun stuff. It is the fun time of the year. Um, as evidenced by all the NBA news that we've had today. Still going through your questions. We got a, a angry one from uh, Brandon Whitesides asking, why didn't Conley retire at the end of the season so the Jazz can chase a real player? Which I think is like moderately offensive for a guy who scored 21 points a game last year for like, you know, and has a 10-year NBA career and all that kind of stuff. And has been good enough to be one of the upper point guards in the league. At least Mike Conley is really good. Yeah, he's he's not a schlub that the Jazz are chasing right now. Brandon Whitesides, what are the analytics for a player on the backside of his prime making 30, 30 million a year? He wrote thirty k. Mike Conley is making more than thirty k, friends. Uh, well, the analytics are not good. I would say that uh, the the fact that there are only two years left on the deal rather than four really kind of limits your exposure to that uh, because Mike Conley will presumably be. Almost as good as he was last year. This year, uh, he had the fourth best season of his NBA career. If you look at win shares last year, he was very, very good last year. Even if he is not quite as good as he was last year, he will be as good as he was in like the sixth or seventh or eighth year of his career when he was still nearly an all-star, still leading the Grizzlies to 50 wins and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Mike Conley, even you know 90% Mike Conley still is a very good player, would still be you know obviously a, a big upgrade for the Jazz uh, at the point guard position. Uh, Miles Newby asks, are the Jazz more likely to keep the pick or trade it? I kind of answer that. I, you know, I, I don't know at this point. I would say at this point they're still trying to trade it, certainly. Um, but whether or not they can find a, a, a deal is is a question. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, would Harrison Barnes be good enough? Would sorry? Would Harrison Barnes be a good Jazz target in free agency? That's interesting. Harrison Barnes today uh, declined his player option for next year at twenty five million dollars with the Sacramento Kings. That's a lot of money for Harrison Barnes to get to give up, and he is certainly not getting twenty five million dollars 
on the free agent market next season. But what he might get is like four years, $65 million or something like that. Uh, so that he's trading kind of the, the short-term security of making $25 million for the long-term making 60 to 70 or whatever that looks like. Now, to me, I, I, I don't think Harrison Barnes is, is a terrible fit. Um, he's certainly a, a stretch four. He's someone who could can shoot a little bit. He's someone who can score a little bit. He makes some sense in that way. He's not a ball mover. He's not a great system guy. He doesn't really add a lot to a team concept. So, like... You know, the the cool thing about Mike Conley, Tobias Harris, is that you can have them run pick and rolls, you can have them score, you can have them create for others, those kind of things. That's not really Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes is a uh, ball-stopping-ish kind of score. I don't I want to call him a ball-stopper because that's, that's probably too strong, but he's, you know, he's, he's not that team-first guy, right? Like, so um, I, I think he's kind of a weird fit if you can get him for... The big mid-level exception at, at $9 million a year, great. If you have to pay him $13.8 million, which is kind of the amount they have if they just lose Ricky Rubio, eh, maybe you think about it. Maybe, you know, if that's your best option, cool. Uh, you probably want to go after the bigger names first, but maybe that's a reasonable answer. Um, if you have to pay more than that, if you have to lose Derek Favors to sign Harrison Barnes, to me, that doesn't make any sense. He's a good backup, 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 backup plan, and... Sure, I'm sure the Jazz would be his backup, backup, backup plan as well. That's a good point. If things go bad on on his end, because I, I'm sure at this point when he has been bouncing around not only Sacramento but before that Dallas, I think things have worn a little bit thin for him when it comes to dealing with losing uh, that much. Agreed. Corey Woodland asks, in all of the conversations, I haven't been an advocate for losing five guys to sign one. Is there a way we could sign? Nikola Mirotic and keep favors as a backup center. Also, is Trevor Ariza a free agent? Yes, Trevor Ariza is a free agent. Uh, could you sign Nico and keep faves? Depends what Nico is willing to sign for. Uh, I suspect you probably could. Again, the Jazz have $13.8 million if they lose Rubio and nobody else under the cap. So I think that's probably going to be enough to sign Nico Mirotic, given that he was a DNPCD in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. I think... Uh, his playoff performance really decreased his value. But I do think that it is possible. I question the wisdom of keeping Jay Crowder, Nico Miritich, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert as like a super crowded uh, front court. I, I, I just think that if you're looking at building the roster in the optimal way, I don't think it involves spending that much money on 96 minutes out of the four and five positions. Well, I, and... There is mutual interest just in the fact that Miritich is obviously being linked to Snyder and, and the way that yeah. things have gone in with that respect. I actually like Nico a little bit, like, yeah. and I get people don't, and certainly Tony Jones does not, and that's fine. You know, like I, I get those arguments. I think he's uh, he can be a better defender than what he showed. I think he uh, has been a better defender in the past, and maybe you could kind of rekindle that a little bit, and he can shoot the hell out of the ball. He's a, he's a very good shooter. Uh, to me, I, I don't see the uh, I, I don't see a lot of realistic off, se- off seasons where the Jazz sign Nico because they do have to lose Derek Favors in order to to realistically do it um, and add a point guard. You know, because <laughs> if you you lose Rubio and you sign Nico, okay, who is who is your point guard? It is whoever you can sign for. Yeah, I mean it's it's Dante Exum at that point. That's a scary proposition. It, it's just, yeah, you have to have a lot of belief in Dante Exum to, to get there. 
let's go ahead and take a break here on the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, we're coming back with more questions next here on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Well, he's coming back from Provo, from BYU Media Day. Yes. And then there's going to be traffic, Andy. Have you been down to Provo and driven back? So, probably got home around 7. Got a pack. You might be at the airport in time. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, best case scenario because he needs a ride to the airport because you're not going to deal with overnight parking. You've got to figure things out that that way uh, in in going forward. True. Uh, <laughs> we don't know. I don't think Ben put this much thought into <laughs> his uh, travels. Tonight. He probably he probably figured it out sooner than we did. Uh, Giorgio Spinias, our, our Greek fan again. Giorgio, thanks for listening. Says, is Goran Dragic an option if we don't get Mike Conley? If he opts in, we can get him very cheap from Miami. Uh, I do think he's an option. I do think that he's kind of a a stopgap option for the Jazz. He's making a surprising amount of money next year. Uh, I believe it's seventeen, eighteen million. It might even be nineteen. Uh, so you kind of look at okay, if you, if you're going to be making that trade, you either have to again trade away eighty percent of that value, or you have to uh, of, of that salary value, or you have to take him on into cap space. And, and so, how do you you know, you need to open up that cap space somehow? So uh, you probably again, if you're, you're signing Dragic as your point guard, you probably do want to keep Derek Favors. So you you talk about. Uh, waving and maybe stretching Kyle Korver. Maybe find a, a trade taker for Korver. Uh, maybe you move Jay Crowder or something. You know, whatever that looks like in order to be able to afford Goran Dragic uh, and make that trade work. But is it is certainly something that the Jazz could do. Given that he is worth 19 million next year, I wonder kind of where the value would go in that trade. You know, would the Jazz give up a pick? I don't think they'd have to. Would they get a pick in return in order for taking uh, on that salary? I don't know that the Heat would be excited about doing that either. Maybe it's just a straight-up player-for-player kind of trade. I'd be interested to see how that turned out. But, yeah, I do think that the Jazz see Drogic as a kind of a, a fourth or fifth fallback option at, at the point guard spot if if they need to do that. Did you buy the reporting by Five Reason Sports about a deal almost being made between the Heat and the Jazz surrounding Jay Crowder for uh, uh, Dragic. Yeah, that was interesting. That was a, a trade deadline deal that would have happened, yeah. right? Uh, that's not something I've heard. So it may be true. It may not be true. It's it's hard for me to like hate on somebody else's reporting given what I, what I don't know about it. Um, I would be surprised if it went down like that. And again... From a financial point of view, it doesn't work like that, right? Jay Crowder only makes $7 million. Uh, Goran Dragic made eight, 17 last year. We'll make 18 next year. 
Uh, it just, you know, you, you need to send something else out. And then what would that be? Is that a tabocephalosis at Epe Udo? So those, those kind of questions, I, I think, show that maybe that idea wasn't either fully reported or wasn't uh, fully figured out by the teams themselves yet. You know, the, those deals, that deal may not have been as close as that report indicated that it was. But I do think that's that's kind of an interesting idea from uh, – certainly that's not one of the uh, more famous, uh, notorious outlets of, of reporting, right? Like it's, it's – Five Reasons Sports has Ethan Skolnick behind it, who used to right, be that's with, good. with CBS. I like Ethan. Uh, and he, and he knows his heat too. He does. So. Yeah, he's he's right on the heat when it comes to those type of things. I don't think I realize that. So that 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 makes me feel better about it. But well, yeah. Again, I uh, I, I read know. the trades. <laughs> that's good. Um, we do have this interesting bit of reporting uh, that says that's coming out. And part of the fun of doing a, a show again two days before the trade deadline is that we are hearing all these different reports as they happen. So one of them is uh, this the scenario that says, according to one trade scenario circulating Monday night, Memphis could receive a package from Utah headlined by the number 23 pick in, in Thursday's draft, as well as a future first rounder from the Jazz. And I have to say that sounds like something that, that I've heard as well is that it, number 23 is not going to get that deal done by itself. Number 23 plus matching salaries is not going to get the deal done by itself. It will have to take a second first round pick in order to make that happen. Now that's you know something Memphis certainly wants, whether or not they stick to that demand when push t- comes to th- shove Thursday afternoon is, is a real question. Um, maybe you can make it into a heavily protected first round pick that turns into two seconds. I don't know, but those are kind of the questions that the Jazz and the Grizzlies will have to answer, and we'll see if any other team is willing to give up a, a second first round pick too, because obviously that's that's a lot for a player of of Conley's caliber. You probably know this better than I, but and obviously we all know about you can't trade back to back first round picks, right? Right? Jazz own the first round pick that they have now, and then two years from now they own. Their first round pick. What you can also do when you're this close to the deadline is you can make the pick for them and trade that next year's pick after they make it, if that makes sense. So right. you you make it, the, the guy wears the jazz hat, and then it, you trade funny. Yeah. that guy yeah. and next year's pick. So yeah. like you, you can get away with some finagling there, um, which may be important finagling given that soon we're going to have the double draft, right? The double draft is... We're going to remove the age limit from the NBA, and we're going to have a a freshman class and a senior high school class in the same draft. That and that draft will therefore be almost twice as good as any other draft. And you don't want to be giving up first round picks in that draft. And so, figuring out ways to avoid doing that is is important for you know not hurting yourself later. So anyway, uh, that's something to consider certainly. JP, I wanted to ask you, I, I believe we're through our, our questions. Um, if you'd like to send any more, please feel free to tweet us at Andy B. Larson at JP underscore Chunga. But I want to ask you, because you are the college basketball guy, I want to ask you about some of these draft prospects. That the, if the Jazz do keep their pick, uh, that's, you know, who, that's who they will go after, who you think you like out of those options at, at the number 23 pick. I had an article about it today at the Solid Tribune. Uh, about ten featuring ten of those options, ten I thought were maybe among the ten most likely uh, players that the Jazz would pick, uh, and, and I'm I'm curious what you think about these players. Should I go through them? Yeah, okay. Let's do it. 
So uh, maybe I, I kind of went from maybe most likely to be there to least likely to be there. Um, or other way around, sorry. Best player to worst. So least likely to be there, most likely to be there. So my number one guy was Nick Claxton, who in nearly every mock draft is taken above where the Jazz are, are selecting at number 23 because he is being is, is highly well regarded. He's killed this this workout uh the, the various different workouts he's done. He moves like a wing player more than he does a big guy. That's actually a direct quote from Walt Perrin. Uh, he can play probably either the four or the five as a result. He can come over from the weak side and help and, and give some rim protection that way. But he also has like kind of a nice off-the-dribble game too. Uh, what do you think about Nick? He was the only big on that Georgia team that they had this year. And I get a little... Uh, worried by uh, how much that these guys are playing alongside um, players that will be playing with the next level. And he didn't have that much talent on that Georgia team, but still stood out. His versatility of being able to deal with that and the way that he played going down the stretch um, impressed because as the season wore on, things got better for him. And he played a fine non-conference schedule with Georgia as well. I like that he's he's not a traditional guy that that went the route of the one and done because he he's a guy that probably could have gone a, a one of one and done potential early entrant guy uh, last year but wanted to go back to school and, and get some things done. I think he showed a little bit when it came to being able to defend more as he was required to as the only big guy on that Georgia team and they were very much old basketball willing to play with a big guy in their strengths. I like him as as a guy that could be, if the, he falls down to the Jazz as a pick at 23. That being said, I don't see him in any way being uh, able to drop down to the Jazz because I, I think his name is, is one that will be buzzing around a lot of draft draft rooms at this time. Yeah, it's interesting. He wasn't invited to the green room, which is kind of weird. I thought he would he would be as, as one of the top 20 picks. In, in my mind, in a lot of mocks, I, you know, he's been there, and he wasn't invited. So that gives me maybe a, a little bit of hope that he, he might be available at, at number 23. Um, and if he is... I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Jazz take him. If he were to slide that far, Yeah, uh, I, I think the Jazz like him a lot. Uh, it's just kind of whether or not they can, whether or not he'll be there. Bull get an invite to the draft room? Bull Bull did, yes. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. But, he, you know, he may slip too. That's, yeah. that's kind of the thing is we're in the last two, three, heck, maybe four drafts now. If you're a center, you if you're not one of the top one or two guys, you may slip. All, all the way even to the the bottom of the first round, beginning of the second round, right? We we've seen that, and, and I think because this league has so many centers, because centers has such a high replacement level right now, it doesn't make a lot of sense to spend a, a pick on a big man unless you're very sure that big man is is very good. Um, and and in, I think in the case of Nick Claxton, I think you're excited about him because there is the potential that he maybe can be a four uh, and, and doesn't move like a typical center. You know, is, is not like a Daniel Gafford type where you're you're kind of sure he can only play the five and, and just kind of rim roll. He was playing primarily center in college. For but, sure. But again, this this can obviously change. At, Kareem played a very uh, different system th- than what you're playing in the NBA. He develops NBA players, but he doesn't play an NBA system, if that makes any sense in college. Yeah. Uh, my next guy was Keldon Johnson, the, the Kentucky freshman. 
Uh, I described him as kind of a jack of all trades, master of none guy. Like a, I said, B plus shooter, B grade driver, a B plus defender, B size for his position, right? Like he's not terrific at any of those things. But given that he's like kind of okay or or good at all of those things, and he's only eighteen and a half years old, maybe you know I, I think he's actually a good prospect. He wasn't the necessarily Shea Gilgis Alexander player that Calipari would want from a guy like Keldon Johnson uh, in his first year, right? Shea Gilgis-Alexander was what you want him to be, and, and he just isn't isn't that. I was very high on Shea Gilgis-Alexander last year with what he did. That being said, he does have a lot of really good qualities and played alongside a lot of really good players at Kentucky, and he stood his own. I, I like players that can stand when you're playing alongside other pros and being able to go out in those runs and be confident, and I like I like the way that he he plays and and the way that he he can get things done. I I agree. I think you know he actually was invited to the the green room, so maybe he won't wow. be there. Uh, I, I would say uh, I don't know if it's more or less likely that he's there than Nick Claxton. Trying to figure that out, you know, obviously the green room people aren't perfect uh, either, but I, I I do think that it is pretty likely that he goes in the teens somewhere. Uh, Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson, North Carolina, best shooter that is available in in the draft. If you're just looking at the percentages and and things that that project through Ken Palm, yeah, which, he made 45 percent of his threes, which is what I that's and good. Tr- true shooting. He's 60, 70 because he, he takes most of his shots from three. He is really, really the best shooter uh, in this draft. Just just looking at at that, but he wasn't just taking uh, college threes. He was taking NBA threes. Yeah, at that. At that level, and and with Roy Williams, you're playing an up and down system rather than you know grind it out. Uh, one like Larry K plays up at Utah. Um, I like his game just as a shooter, and and he would be a sniper that if you're looking at for Dennis Lindsay, he he would address in the draft. My big question is, first of all, he's already 23, so like you know that that doesn't mean there's a lot of room for development. And can he do anything else? Is he Anthony Morrow or is he tall JJ Redick? In at twenty three, are you okay with the rotation player? I think he I can think, develop into a, a rotation player in this league. Do you think? I, I I agree. I think he can be even you know like again. Anthony Morrow was a rotation player. Yeah. Steve Novak was a rotation Those player. Those are right? fine. Like, yeah. I, I I don't know that he'll be able to. He can't shoot off the move off screens like Kyle Korver can. Yeah. So the question is, can he develop that and become Kyle Korver? And if so, cool. Then like that's an awesome twenty third pick. Or can he not? And you have Steve Novak. Well, I'm not seeing Steve Novak's not. You know, that's strong. Yeah. But uh, you know, with like only shooter is is actually a difficult a difficult place to be in. You're not seeing him play the way that Kyle Korver is in college, right? Because he's not going to be in the half court that often, at least at North Carolina, because they go up and down every single possession. If he can develop it, then he becomes that Kyle Korver and, and he can make that jump. I think just as a pure shooter, as somebody that has a nice stroke, as somebody that could be a potential marksman in this league, I think he can provide that. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Taylor Horton Tucker, the opposite of Kalen, of Cameron Johnson, because he's, <laughs> he's a baby. Uh, he's six, four guard freshman out of Iowa state. Uh, he's super young, uh, seven foot one wingspan. Sorry. He's the one that's 18. I, I liked you earlier. Uh, Keldon Johnson's 19. I apologize. I regret the error. 
Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, Taylor Horton Tucker, high potential guy, has good ball skills. Is very is like kind of got the Anduan mixtape of of dribbling skill sets, and is an athlete. Obviously, a seven foot one wingspan when you're six four is kind of ridiculous. Um, he hasn't been a good basketball player yet. He can't defend. Uh, he he's not like a good passer. He's not a good. Uh, he kind of holds on to the ball a little bit, so he can't can do the and one stuff. Uh, he hasn't figured out how to like really help his team yet. You uh, seem very keen on asking Walt Perrin about uh, him uh, last media availability. At yes, least, at least what uh, I was watching of it. That's because I was trying to figure out what Walt thinks about Taylor. Yes. Well, he got a lot of possessions at Iowa State. It it was him and and. The other guy who came in, Mariel Shayak, sure, I believe was his I don't name. Know who this is. He, he's an old guy, old guy that came uh, uh, in the earlier workouts that they had uh, for the Jazz. It was him, him and Taylor taking possessions, okay, basically, one on one, and he didn't really jump off the page, at least in big games down the stretch in the Big Twelve, where you're playing against NBA players, and especially when you're playing against five star recruits at Kansas or those guys where you're going to have to raise that level of play, it didn't really jump off the page for me uh, with the way that he was playing at Downs Dress. He is a freshman, though, so he does have the youth on his team. Yeah, he's he's a young freshman, too, 18 yeah. and a half years old. Uh, I, I I think he's, like, classic classic long long shot pick. And to me, like, I like long shot picks, but I like them to be able to contribute at least a little bit right away to have something that they can do right away. And I don't think he can. And, and so to me, maybe he's a, I, I think Sam Vesany put it this way. He's a second contract guy rather than a first contract guy. And I don't know if the Jazz are super excited about paying a guy t- to be a, a first contract wait and see. I mean, look at kind of the fans reaction to Tony Bradley, for example, who was kind of in a similar boat. Super young when he was drafted, a a project pick, and now after two years of getting nothing out of him, uh, it's people are feeling like it's time to move on. You might be in that same situation with Taylor Horton Tucker if he doesn't develop right away. He's not going to get the possessions at this level, right? He's not going to get the opportunity to develop at this level because you're you're just not on the same timeline as as he is, and that could be a a big diff detriment when it comes to development for him. Next up on my list was KZ Akpala. Are you a, a KZ guy? I I thought KZ was the best Pac-12 player that was playing towards the end of the Pac-12 really? season. Yes, 100%. It was him him and Luke Dort who were the two that were standing out as pro prospects in the Pac-12 okay. that were playing at the end. Because Bull Bull was gone. He, he, right. was, he was whatever he was doing. I would say Matisse Thibel. He's, a, he's probably... He was not an offensive... Yeah. Okay. I mean, and and Thibel, Thibel probably could be have the longest career out of out of everybody, but is boom or bust as far as uh, somebody who could be the offense. Yeah, the best. Yeah, uh, the standout of the class. I thought it was Luke Dort and Casey Akpala, and I loved Akpala's game uh, coming out because he could handle the ball. He was everything for that Stanford team. Yeah, why is Stanford bad? <laughs> well, they really shouldn't be because. No. Because I'm confused. they, they actually makes me worried partner. about Casey Akpala a little bit. Uh, maybe that's unfair. Maybe you know, like he's just the one good guy on a really bad team. To me, I'm like, why don't? Why aren't you playing better defense? Why aren't you, uh, you know, doing the things to help your team win? Now, maybe that's a lot to ask from a sophomore. S- uh, Stanford went through a little bit of a transition from freshman to sophomore year. They lost their main post presence that right. they had in Reed Travis. Him transferring to Kentucky. And they changed the style of play that they were from his freshman year to his sophomore season. So 
that could potentially uh, explain what was going just winning wise. He had to remake the entire roster, Jared Haas, because he he saw a lot of people leave as well. There was roster turnover on that team, and Casey stood out in throughout it all in being the one guy that that team could could rely on. The, his his body's he's six nine body awesome seven body. one wingspan. Yeah. You get that. Uh, scored sixteen points a game, as you point out. Uh, I think he was like actually like medium efficient scoring, turned the ball over a lot. But if you know if you're going one on three because the rest of your Everybody teammates aren't knows, good, yeah, then that's that's not great. Um, would you? Is there an NBA comp for him in your mind? Uh, for Akpala, not one that I have right off. What are some of the names that you hear? Because I don't I don't really see another. Because he's so unique, the way that they played at Stanford, that I, I can't just fit him into yeah. an NBA mold. No, that makes right sense. There. And there aren't always those guys. I mean, it's funny. Like the Ringers' comps are so different with him. Like their their comps are Brandon Ingram, Trevor Ariza, and Wes Johnson. Those are very different players with very different styles, right? They have similar uh, bodies, but then even Brandon Ingram's a skinny dude, and Trevor Ariza's you know big and bulky and and a, and a good defender at the three and the four. You know, like uh, and Wes Johnson's a guy who was just there you know was was didn't turn did not turn out to be a a really helpful nba player so um i i think that's a reasonable pick and he is only 20 years old i i don't think he'd be able to help the jazz next year uh do you do you agree on that is there yeah i don't see him being just off the top being able to contribute i think the closest one of those three brandon ingram would be the closest okay just because of how long that he was how he would be able to handle the ball, uh, it's closer to Brandon Ingram than all those three. But if if you know if he were Brandon Ingram in college, he would be the number two pick in this draft. Yeah, maybe number three. But you know, like Brandon Ingram was the number two pick and was a good number two pick. I don't know. You can say he's hasn't quite lived up to maybe the the hype. More high profile school that matters sometimes in this draft. That does, but like. It's not like no one watched Stanford. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, this nobody watched Stanford. Is not Belmont. <laughs> Yes, true. That is true, but schools do moderately that matters. Uh, yeah. Matter in, in, when it comes to the draft. I got gotcha. you. It, it, it's not like it, if like I could see that happening with like a, a Kevin Porter Jr. for yeah. example, who doesn't play half the season and you know has got all sorts of problem reasons why people aren't watching him. And you know, I could see someone like that flying under the radar. He was you know the number one guy on a on a notable Power Five conference school. Yeah, should be fine. Um, maybe that's harsh of me. I, I'm not a huge Akpala believer. Speaking of Belmont, Dylan Windler's my next guy. Windler, so uh, I looked up Windler not only uh, because of the jazz workouts, but only because uh, obviously you had the Joe Ingles comparison that you yeah. get with him with the lefty and, and being tall, goofy white guy. <laughs> tall, goofy white guy, lefty who can shoot. Great. Uh, he abused a lot of uh, younger players. Yeah, he did in the league. Yeah, that, he did that he had that he was playing in, and it was not a good league. It was not a good league at all. Uh, Belmont is a fine basketball program with what they have going for, but what, I get worried when you have senior dominating freshmen. Yeah, that's fine. and that's what happened at Belmont with Dylan Wood. Uh, did the NCAA tournament performance go any distance to making you feel better about? That? I don't care about NCAA. You don't care about the tournament? I don't. Wow, why? They're one-offs. It's it's like caring about uh, one game in a playoff series. But if if he if he is playing well in the two games that he faces, 
near NBA talent, doesn't that that mean something? We have other their non conference schedule showed that. Like his okay, non conference he played well in their non conference schedule. Against UCLA. Okay. Who wasn't great. They fired their coach right. the next day. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> they, they didn't have anything figured out. You want to you want to you want to draft the the coach fire guys, <laughs> the guys who are so good that they make the other team fire their coach. But again, that's a senior dominating a bunch of yeah. five star freshmen. Agreed. Who don't know how to play basketball and didn't have a head coach. Here's the thing, though. Like his level of production is so high. I mean the. Scoring 21 points a game, shooting 43% from three. You better be doing that in that conference. Uh, I don't you know. better like, be doing that. 43% from three is real. He's He's got size. I I think he can defend a little bit. He's smart. He makes the right read. Like, I, 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 like, I think Joe Ingles is actually a reasonable comp. And if you can, ha- if you can draft young Joe Ingles, like Joe Ingles at, at 23 years old, you, you do it. Andy. He's abusing, abusing. I know. I, I'm usually not the guy who likes senior players that are, you know, like I was anti Grayson Allen. I, yep. I like young guys in drafts. That's, I, I, you know, if Keldon Johnson's available, they should take him. If, uh, I, okay, Taylor Horton Tucker didn't have any production though. Uh, I don't know. It's to me, Dylan Windler. I, I, don't, I wouldn't call him my guy in this draft, but I, okay. I do think I, I think he can do better than the average like big number senior because he showed some things that big number seniors usually don't in terms of rebounding, in terms of shooting the ball. Uh, and, and yeah, he's not going to be the number one creator on your team, but if he can be a, a secondary guy, again, like Joe Ingles off the bench, do some nice things, keep the offense running, I think he can do those things. I like the comparison uh, to Joe Ingles. I just I don't buy that he can develop into Joe Ingles because of what I, I saw just okay, being able enough. to do it against younger guys. All right, we got to take a break. We've got a few more guys left to talk about uh, when we also have gotten a couple of questions over the last couple of minutes, so we'll get to those too. That's coming up next here on the Salsa Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, Andy Larson and J.P. Chunga with you. We were talking about KZ Akpala during the break and trying to figure out who he is in the NBA. Uh, and we were looking at his athletic testing comparisons. And there's this great website called NBAathlete.com that actually compares how each NBA prospect did. Compared in the combine at the size, the jumping, the speed, all that kind of stuff uh, to previous guys who, who did the combine. So KZ Akpala, his closest comparisons are guys like Kyle Kuzma, Mo Harkless, Solomon Hill, uh, Patrick McCaw, guys who are, I would say, good but not great athletes. Uh, and and so I'm trying to kind of figure out who Kaziak probably is as a non-tremendous, he was not a good shooter at Stanford, you know, made 38% of threes but not uh, didn't take very many of them. And overall, spot-up shooter was only 38th percentile, uh, 36th percentile, excuse me. And then um, he also wasn't a good defender, and maybe that's because so much of the offensive pressure was on him, and certainly someone with that body you would hope could become a better defender at the NBA level, but he hasn't shown that yet. And so I'm thinking of wing players who are neither good shooters nor good defenders, and uh, those guys aren't aren't good players. you know. And the, maybe he can get to 
uh, NBA level at those things, and then to me, like he becomes like a, a Mo Harkless, um, someone like that. Which Mo Harkless as a number twenty three pick is is not a, a catastrophe, but it, it's not something that I maybe fall in love with as a a draft evaluator. I saw the Kyle. I heard you mention the Kyle Kuzma, yeah, uh, deal, and I look at the way that Kyle Kuzma shot the ball from three his last year, only hoisting up seventy eight threes. And it was 32% that he shot. And that is not as good as what uh, Casey Akpala shot at Stanford. That's true. He he can develop into uh, a three-point shooter, at least uh, in my opinion. And, and I think that he could switch around the not-a-good-shooter, at least right now, uh, from Stanford. Yeah, and, and maybe that's maybe that's a better way to think of Casey Akpala is that he's a four at the NBA more than a three, kind of like Kuz is. Uh, Kuz yeah. doesn't have the, the maybe the uh, – I, I would say Akpala isn't as shifty as, as Kuz is, right? But, you know, I don't know how much Kuzma showed that at, at Utah either, right? I think maybe, maybe there's a case to be made that the NBA game will help both prospects. That's what I'm hoping for because I'm all in on Casey. <laughs> uh, let's go to Ty Jerome, the 6'5 junior out of Virginia. Um, I, I love this description from the ringer of Ty Jerome. Talented playmaker and shooter who moves at 3G, but his mind calculates on actions on the floor at 5G. That's good. He's, he's, a, smart, he's, he's a smart guy who's uh, not very quick and he, can't jump very high. He was... Uh, well, that, that is, was Virginia, by the way. That was right. the exact uh, description of an entire program willing to go into the mud and, and operate at 3G uh, when you have 5G players. Ty Jerome was a big recruit and, and somebody that, that chose Virginia as an option for himself. And, and he flashes off the page because not only did he play great defense at Virginia, he also shot the ball well and was a sharpshooter for that team. Uh, being able to do it, I like him as as a prospect. You rated this as talent, right? Talent first, and then I rated to... this, yeah, kind of like I put the guys who are kind of yeah, yeah, the most talented guys first, and then this uh, is about where he fits in. Yeah, okay, this is uh, very appropriate with him. I think he's going to be a backup point guard in the NBA. I yeah. think he'll almost certainly make it. I think there's a decent, like I don't know. 20% chance that he becomes Malcolm Brogdon, and you're just pretty stoked on that. Uh, but I, I don't think that that's a, a sure thing. Uh, and just because he went to Virginia, too, does not make him Malcolm Brogdon. This, yeah, he's definitely a sure bet as far as somebody who's going to make it. Yeah, I, I think I he'll think, make it. Yeah. yeah, 100%. You're not going to see him flame out of this. I just don't know whether or not he makes it as like a, a Frank Mason, Jalen Brunson level player, or if he makes it as a Malcolm Brogdon kind of player. Listen to this comp from Ken Palm uh, with the way that he played last year. Let's hear it. They compare him to 2005 Darren Williams. Sign him up. Let's get <laughs> D-Will. I, uh, for many reasons, don't think Ty Jerome is D-Will. Uh, but Darren Williams had the same same type of, of knocks coming out of Illinois in that he wasn't as athletic. He didn't have the speed uh that he had true, coming out of the but he was he was bigger and stronger and yes. could get to the rim where Ty Jerome even at the I know you're not arguing that he's Darren Williams for the sake of our audience yeah. Ty Jerome is not Darren Williams yeah. because Darren could get to the rim and finish and Ty Jerome couldn't even do that at college like he could sometimes but not frequently and not against teams with significant size in, in down low so yeah that's that's Ty Jerome uh 
Mfundio Kamengele. Let's talk about him. 6'10 center, sophomore, Florida State. Uh, he's the nephew of Dikembe Mutombo, which is fun. He can kind of block shots. In fact, he can block shots. We'll even say that. He can actually shoot the three. He didn't show that much of it during the, the season. Shot at 37%, but apparently killed the Jazz 100, or at least did well enough that Walt Perrin said he really showed the ability to shoot the top of the circle threes at our workouts. So that's good. You like guys who can defend the rim and shoot. He might be like a, a Serge Ibaka type in that way. Um, he also has no idea how to play basketball well. Like he, <laughs> uh, he just has no idea how to screen, how to play pick and roll defense, those kind of things that you would, you need to do as, oh, he has no idea how to pass as well. He had only 11 assists all of last year. Uh, I think he's a, Interesting long-term prospect if you can teach him to play basketball, but there's a really good shot that he's just not going to make it. He seems like a project to me. He's uh, a project. In, in every project sense is the right of, word. In every sense of the word because it, he came in as a uh, project with Florida State. In, he was under-recruited, didn't get as many offers as maybe other more heralded guys out of Ontario because he's – one of those guys that just fell through the cracks. Uh, if he really played well with the Jazz 100, that surprises me because I didn't see the shooting stroke from from just watching. He may have gotten better. Like over the last yeah. two months, that's really possible. Um, yeah. And it still probably doesn't add up to an NBA player right now if he can't pass and screen and do team kind of things, right? We do have a caller. Justin is called in. Justin, how are you? <laughs> Oh wow, we're we're starting the laughs, Justin. What are you laughing about? You hate to see it. What do you hate to see, you, Justin? You hate to see what's happening to the Boston Celtics <laughs> on July eighteenth, twenty nineteen. Oh, it's it's only June eighteenth. You're getting ahead of yourself, Justin. But it, I'll June tell you what: July eighteenth, either day, Jazz <laughs> Nation is and Curry, and we are having mimosas for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Justin is excited not only because Kyrie Irving looks likely to leave the Boston Celtics, but today it was announced Al Horford uh, reported, I should say, that Al Horford also looks likely to leave. Therefore, the the promised Boston Celtics. Uh, Dynasty, when Gordon Hayward went there, and you had Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and all these good young pieces with Kyrie Irving, with Al Horford, it appears that Dynasty has come to an untimely end, and, and it sure sounds like Justin is, uh, is, is thrilled. It is just a shame. It is an absolute shame. Uh, I, you, I can tell the, the sarcasm is dripping from your voice. You feel so sad for Boston. It gets better. I, I read a report that Boston has not given up hope of trying to convince him to stay. Hey, maybe maybe you throw in a little bit of begging in there. Maybe you, you say, hey, here's some clam chowder. Do you remember what it would be like to not have good clam chowder in your city? Uh, I, I, I still don't think that works. I think Al Horford wants to get paid and maybe play for an actual championship contender rather than the Boston Celtics, who are quite clearly not that at this point. Spoiler alert. Al Horford's working on his players to be an article. That's the only delay in this. <laughs> what is Kyrie also? Kyrie's got to be working on his too. No, he's working on his uh, flatter feet, flatter <laughs> pieces, I believe. He's oh, going to okay. go with a different outlet than the Players Tribune. Oh, uh, uh, be- before I break away, Andy, I have yeah. a real question. I would like to uh, to uh, lob towards you guys. All right, sure. Let's hear it. 
uh, theoretical roster uh, comprising Conley, Mitchell, and Rudy. Um, with all matters equal, perhaps besides that of Kawhi being the only only star to land the Clippers, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kuzma, Rondo, and let's say eight second round players on the Lakers. <laughs> uh-huh. Do you think Utah's nucleus is the best position nucleus? Is that a good enough core? to get to the finals out of the West next year? That's a great question. That's very interesting. Uh, thanks for the call, Justin. So uh, is the big three there of, of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and Rudy Gobert uh, as good as, with you know actual role players around them, as good as the Lakers' core of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and then that third star, whether that's Kemba or, Ka- or Kawhi or whatever that looks like? I think, obviously, there's a difference between those two players. But to me... That Laker core is better, even if they have to put 10 second round guys. But the odds that it stays together, the odds that they, those guys stay 100% healthy, the guys that, the, the odds that you don't have one or two of those guys go down during the playoffs or before the playoffs or somehow are injured, the, the odds that those three guys mesh in such a way that they are ready to compete at the highest level in their first season, I think is, is very low. And I think I would say the Jazz might be more likely to move on to, say, a Western Conference Finals or the NBA Finals than the Lakers, even though if, the Lake, if everything goes right for the Lakers, Obviously, you take them as the favorites, even in that case. High in talent, yeah. The the Lakers win win that battle just looking off of LeBron, AD, whoever you get as that third star. But the miles are are piling up on LeBron, and AD just went through a very injury riddled year last season. So things could go poorly for that team if if it comes to that scenario at the end of the year. Agreed. Uh, we do have to take a break here. We've got. We're going to have to have a quick last segment. We've got two questions, and we've got two more prospects to get through. We're going to do like one and a half minutes on each next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back in Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson and JP Chunga with you here for a few more minutes. Uh, we do have a couple questions to get to. One, by the way, about Nigel Williams Goss. You may remember him as the second round pick. Uh, from Gonzaga that the Jazz drafted two years ago, then went overseas. The good news is, though, that he's had a good overseas career. In fact, he averaged 17 points and six assists last year uh, in in Europe with uh, – sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. What was the team? Olympiacos. Uh, right? Yes. Good team. That's good Greek food, too. Uh, yeah. Love it. Uh, and is is one of those guys that, like, might – uh, have a chance at coming back over to the NBA. He did not look that good with the Jazz in the Summer League his first year, but now he may have that chance to play Summer League again and maybe make it into the league. We'll see. I- I'm not counting on him as an NBA contributor, right? Like, there are plenty of guys who score 17 points in Europe and, and are not NBA players. But it looks like Nigel Williams-Goss has made real improvements since he was drafted, and so there's, like, kind of a path there to for him to be an NBA player, uh, and the Jazz still have his rights. He's a pro player, but... I don't see him as an NBA player. I remember him when he played for Washington because he was alongside uh, a big, highly titled Lorenzo Romar squad. But this is what happens when 
when you you go out through those times. He transferred from Washington to Gonzaga. Yeah. Uh, I watch college basketball. <laughs> this is a college basketball expert, J.P. Chunga. Uh, the other question he had was about Ante Tomic, who you may remember was like 15 Ooh. years ago was a Jazz draft prospect in the second round. Uh, he is now 32 years old and is still putting up 10 points a game for Barcelona like it's 2008. Good for him. Uh, he's 7'2". He's a stiff. He'll never play in the NBA. Uh, and if he, you know, he didn't six years ago, certainly now is not the time. But Ante Tomic still remains as a as a jazz draft rights prospect that they could somehow trade some you know, for some reason. Who is the NBA stiff now? The stiffest stiff? Yeah, the stiffest stiff. That's a good question. Because we've eliminated I mean Boban the, the game but Yeah, but Boban can don't shoot. say that about my I know, right? Large like, we adult don't, we don't want that. <laughs> uh, uh you know, I don't know. There It has it's a skill that was Luke Longley's that was uh, Adam Keefe's. Ante Zizic, maybe? You know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah they're, anyway, we don't have enough time to consider this. I'm sorry. This is homework for next time. <laughs> I like it. Uh, <laughs> thanks again to Justin for calling in, by the way. He's uh, getting in some jokes in, in the timeline. Nick Whiting asks, have you heard anything since the Tony Jones report about the Jazz trade talks with Memphis for Conley? Is the trade dead? A, no, I have not heard anything in the last... 24 plus 4 hours, 28 hours about this deal. That does not mean it is dead. And in fact, teams aren't like, they're not constantly talking about these deals. When you hear that conversations are happening or conversations have happened, that doesn't mean that, you know, they're on the phone until the deal gets done. That means that they are texting, hey, what about this? Hey, can we talk tomorrow? Hey, let's wait until Wednesday to have these negotiations. Hey, Dennis will call uh, Zach Kleiman at this point, whatever that looks like, uh, that nothing has happened today. And I don't know that nothing's happened today, but that we haven't heard anything today does not mean that the deal is dead. Uh, it does not mean that the Jazz are looking in a different direction. It, it, it just means that we're still 48 hours away from the, uh, from the draft, you know. Uh, so I, I, basically, I don't I think no news is actually no news at this point. Like we it doesn't it doesn't mean anything either way. It can still be done by draft time, and you've gone through the many machinations that it can take at the Salt Lake Tribune. I implore you to read that. Yes. Uh, let's see. Benjamin or uh, Brandon Whiteside asked about Malcolm Brogdon as as him as an option. Uh, I think that again, like with D'Angelo Russell, the Jazz would be interested if and only if he becomes an unrestricted free agent rather than a restricted free agent. Otherwise, you're spending, you're kind of honestly releasing Derek Favors in order to open up the cap room to sign Malcolm Brogdon, and if the Bucks match, then you're just really, you're, you're screwed. You're without a Derek Favors for no reason. So uh, now it, there may be a reason that the Bucks would do that if they wanted to spend all their, their space uh, or all their efforts on re-signing, say, Brooke Lopez and keeping Chris Middleton, and maybe they don't want to go into the tax and they do renounce him. That's all possible. I don't think that it's likely. I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is is likely to come, become a jazz man unless there were to be like some sign and trade, and even that would be really hard to pull off. Um, but you know, he's obviously a good player. Okay, a couple more prospects before we're done. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's talk about Eric Pascal, six seven forward, senior from Villanova, won the championship two years ago with Villanova. One of Donovan Mitchell's best friends. They were on the AAU teams together growing up. They were neighbors growing up. Um, there's like so much video and picture evidence of their relationship. They they are like really, really, really good friends. Not even just like in the friends. 
Donovan's friends with everyone, right? Eric Pascal's like a real long-term friend with Donovan. Um, he can shoot a little bit. He can score a little bit down low. The kind of question is, is he's 6'7", a little bit ground-bound, um, and basically what role does he play in the NBA? Is he big enough to guard centers? Is he quick enough to guard perimeter players? Wasn't the best player on that Villanova team that he played right. uh, last year or the year before when he when he won that championship? Uh that gives you a little bit concern of, of how he stacks up with other NBA players. But he has a nice body as well, being uh, so uh, able to be in that tweener role where he could be a couple of different things at the NBA level. That being said, I, I get concerned when you're not the best player on, on a Villanova team that's stacked with other Well, okay, if that's, the, if that's the line, then like R.J. Barrett shouldn't be the third pick. But he's playing with... Other top guys, like okay. he, oh, you, I you're see playing you with Cam Reddish, Zion Williamson, is different than playing with Phil Booth, Javon Quinterly, okay. and others. He did have a great final game uh, in in 2018. His championship final was really was really good. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious. Um, I I think he's a second round pick. I think he's a good second round pick. I there are probably let me put there are guys in the first round that I would draft over Eric Pascal. Yes. The all the other guys that we mentioned, you would draft above him. Maybe not Wilder, because uh, you hate him. Windler, Windler, Wilder. Sorry, uh, Laura, not available. Uh, <laughs> My bad. Uh, Admiral Schofield is six six wing uh, from Tennessee. The strongest person you've ever seen come out of an NBA draft. He is he is buff. Uh, he is. Basically, you've seen Jay Crowder play. He's Jay Crowder. Yeah. Like he's shorter. He's he's college Jay Crowder. So, do you think college Jay Crowder can be pro Jay Crowder? Is basically your bet with Admiral Schofield. He's he's a he's a pest. He's uh, not the quickest defender in the world, but he's physical. He can knock down an open three, uh, and he's like a good teammate, a, a smart player, a good locker room guy, all that kind of stuff. He he is that one hundred percent because this is a guy that had to develop into what he became because this was not even close to being a highly touted recruit going to Tennessee, and he had to develop into the guy that he became uh, when he left there as a potential first-round pick. Now, I will say you're not going to get as much room playing in the NBA because Grant Williams sucked up so much attention for other players, and Jordan Bone created so much off the dribble as a playmaker on that team. So he was in the right scenario for him. But I like the fact that he's willing to work. I like the fact that he's he's been willing to put in the time to sculpt himself to this player. And if if you like that, you can see him trying to get better at the NBA level. Yeah, I, I think he will be an NBA player. I think his lack of size means that it's hard to yeah. really be a four. Um, and so then if he's a kind of slow two or three, then you're talking about more semi-Ogele than, than Jay Crowder, and you, you maybe don't have as... Clear of a route to contribute at the NBA level. But uh, as a second-round picture, as number 23, I wouldn't. Yeah, second round, second round. that's a good guy to, to go for because he, he'd be willing to go to the Stars and, and do all that he needs to do to get to the NBA. He'd be willing to go back and forth and get things done there. Do you have any opinions on any of Carson Edwards, Grant Williams, Chumo Okeke, or Lucas Samanich? Uh... I like Grant Williams a lot. I do too. Uh, because he 
he's another guy who wasn't highly recruited, had to work his ass off to get to where he was. And I think when you look at that type of player, that type of guy always finds a way to keep making it in the NBA when they, when they develop okay. into first-round guys. When they've gotten to that point where they can be drafted high, they aren't willing to just stay at the level that they were at before. Would you? Who would you pick? Number 23. 20, I mean, I'm high on KZ. Okay, KZ is your guy. <laughs> KZ has been my guy, and I, I can see him developing. Would you trade bit. the number 23 pick along with whatever else it takes for Mike Conley? Uh, ye- no. Interesting. Free I like agency. the take. Free agency. That's our show, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. Only NBA Draft Thursday. We'll have it here on ESPN 700. But for now, Andy Larson, JP Chunga signing up.